Hi friends, I'm so glad you've joined me. Today we're going to talk about when God gives you a new name. Did you know that uh, in the very familiar story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob was actually born grasping and holding onto the heel of his firstborn brother? Did you know that there's actually more significance to that than what meets the eye? And did you know that in the struggle that he had later in life, where he wrestled with the angel or the, the God-man all night until daybreak, that there's actually much more than allegory in that story? We're going to actually unpack this story and dig a little deeper and find out what this story actually means to us and what it means in the life of a believer to actually receive a new name. Let's start in the book of Revelation, where we are given a wonderful promise. In the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, He who is able to hear, let him hear, let him listen to and heed what the Spirit says to the assemblies or the churches. So this is really written to the believer, not the non-believer. To him who overcomes, conquers, I will eat, give to eat of the manna that is hidden, and I will give him a white stone with a new name engraved on the stone, which no one knows or understands except he who receives it. What really stands out to me there is that he's saying to him who overcomes. What is it that we have to overcome if he's speaking to us as believers? And what is that hidden manna? I believe that is the rhema that comes from reading his word, from spending time allowing the spirit of truth, the spirit of God to confront us in the place that we struggle the greatest and give us the, the hidden mysteries of God and, and reveal them to us. That's a promise for you and I. And to me, that's so exciting. I've had that happen many times. And you know, it's a continual process because he relentlessly pursues you and I because he loves us so much. And it's actually some of the struggles and the things that we wrestle with the most that we want to run from. We have a tendency to not think that those things could possibly be good. But I really want to encourage you today. Could it be that the place that you're in today is a place that you really should be embracing a process because God is at work within you? I believe so. I've had it happen layer by layer in my own life. So let's go to um, the book of Genesis and a little bit of the backstory on uh, Jacob and Esau before I get to um, this specific part in the story that I want to point out is that, you know, if you're not real familiar, Jacob and Esau, they were twin brothers. Jacob was born grabbing onto the firstborn brothers, uh, Esau's heel. And uh, it was really kind of something that showed, you know, we're all born with a personality and we're born with that kind of fire in our soul and uh, into a very sinful nature. And so, you know, Jacob, uh, there were dynamics between him and his brother. And I would imagine he felt that he was entitled to the tradition and he longed to be the older brother. And that there was a tradition, a uh, Jewish tradition, that the oldest would be the one that would receive the father's blessings. So later in life, he uh, tricks his brother Esau with 
a simple bowl of soup into giving up his right to the blessing. And then he deceives his father whose eyes are growing dim. And by this time, he can't really see that well. And he deceives him as he's serving him uh, the traditional bowl of soup. And he puts the sheep's wool on his arms to uh, impersonate his brother because Esau was a, a, a bigger, hairier man. And so Jacob is impersonating his brother because he wants his brother's blessing. So in a sense, you could say, you know, he's, he's kind of, he's ripping off what belongs to somebody else. And his father gives him the blessing and Jacob goes on his merry way. He believing this is what's going to make him happy in life. This is the thing. This is the ticket. And he ends up in Haran and he falls in love with a beautiful young woman, Rachel, and, and meets her father, Laban. And he ends up uh, committing himself to work for seven years to win Rachel's hand. Uh, what he doesn't realize is that God has been displeased by the things that the dishonesty that Jacob has um, chosen to live by and the denial. And so God, because he loves Jacob so much, he's, he's putting his finger on the things in Jacob that need to be cleansed, that need to be changed and transformed. And so Jacob ends up reaping what he sowed and he doesn't pay just seven years because he's tricked and deceived by the father-in-law, Laban, into working 14 years, having to marry both of his daughters. And one of them, not one that he really particularly wanted to be with. I mean, the, the scriptures say that she just was comely or she wasn't very, she wasn't very uh, attractive. So he had to work extra hard to get the daughter that he really, really had fallen in love with and was more infatuated with. And then he continues on being uh, coerced into working for his flock for another seven years. And, you know, at, the, at about the six-year mark, he's been there for 20 years. And he realizes God's calling him on. It is time to go. He has been taken advantage of. He's being marginalized. And he is not uh, receiving really what is, has been due him. He's been really used and abused. And so... At this point, Jacob, in obedience to God's call, he go, he's returning to his homeland and to his people. And he takes his wives, his two wives and his servants and his children and all of his flocks and herds. And he's out on, in a, a place called Gilead where he pitches his tent in a very hard and rocky terrain. And I really feel like this, you know, the Bible is just full of wonderful pictures that describe what you and I go through when we're in, uh, in our process and on the journey of discovery with God. And the, the discovery of, you know, who we've been and, and who we're really not, but we've said that we are. So Jacob has pitched his tent and, you know, here comes Laban. He is angry and he's ready to, he's ready to take him out because he's taken everything and God deals with this situation and he actually protects Jacob. He's, he warns Laban not to touch him. And at this point, they come to, together, they make a pact, uh, they have kind of an act of worship. Both have served different gods and they commit this territory to their God. And, and Jacob, he's steering right because he's serving the one true God. 
But what Jacob doesn't understand is there are things hidden within him that he's been in denial of for many, many years. And God is going to purify Jacob because God sees a different Jacob than the one that Jacob has been. So at this point, Jacob begins to realize as some, someone from his camp comes and says, hey, your brother Esau, he's on his way. Someone saw him and he's actually headed here to meet you and he's bringing with him 400 men. So at this point, Jacob gets a little nervous because you know what's happening is the spirit of truth and conviction begins to settle in because Jacob realizes my brother is the one guy that knows I'm a fraud. My brother is the one guy that has the right to take me out. And what am I going to do? And so he's in this place of deep conflict, deep anguish, and huge anxiety. And he begins to pray, oh, God, protect me. Oh, God, he's kind of pleading with God and saying, look, I'm doing, I'm obeying you, Lord. You're the one that called me out here. You're the one that told me to leave what was behind me and to go back to my people. And back to my homeland, I'm actually obeying you, Lord. Now, he, he's pleading because he knows that he needs the grace and the mercy of God to protect him. And he's so terrified and so, so split by his fear. He's actually almost uh, in a double-minded place of feeling that he has to protect everything that he owns. And yet he's paralyzed and he's seized by this this fear that's this grasped him. So it, it, as he rose up in the night, that very same night, he takes his family, everything that he loves, the picture of God's complete restoration in his life, everything that meant the blessing to Jacob, the enlargement of his house, the fact that he's, he's gone from just being a large company to being two companies. He's, he's enlarged. And he takes his family and he sends them to, he helps them to cross over the river Jabbok at a ford in the river, where, which is a lower place where you can, you can pass over. And he sends them over in the nighttime, probably to protect them and send them on ahead. But he's also waiting because he's frozen with fear. He does not know what to do. So Jacob is then left alone. And he's left alone there in the darkness. And he's left alone with all of his, he's paying the piper with all the truth, with all of the, the, the truth about the lies and the things that he's done and the, and the price, the heavy price that he paid in dividends for what he had done already. And now he's totally dependent on God and he knows it. And the scripture says that an angel came and met him in this place. This is the loneliest place on the earth. None of your loved ones can be here in this place with you. This is a place between you and God where you know the truth and God knows the truth. And he knows your heart even better than you do. Scripture says that our own hearts deceive us. I think Jacob was there, don't you? So here he is with this angel, some scriptures say, and then it also goes on to say that he was a man with a capital M. So the scriptures infer that this was God in the form of a man or an angel. And he begins to wrestle 
with Jacob. Jacob is wrestling with him. Jacob was a fighter from birth. And I find that really interesting. God gave him that personality. So here he is wrestling with God and wrestling until almost daybreak, the man says, let go of me because it's almost daylight. And I find that to be really interesting because in the, it, the ways of God are different than the ways that we think. We think that, you know, at the end of a day, we've ended a day and then comes the nighttime. But God works in, in the opposite. He goes from night today. It is the nighttime of our life. It is the darkest hour of our night that births the dawn. That's where we birth things. That's where newness comes. So this is a place of deep transformation. And the man, God, is acknowledging that very thing. Daylight is coming. He is, he is calling something forth in Jacob. He's wooing him. He's saying, make a decision, Jacob. And Jacob says, I won't let go of you until you bless me. And the man says, what is your name? And at this point, Jacob must have hung his head low because the scripture says that he, in shock, could that be a moment of deep sorrow for what he was seeing about himself? In shock, he could only whisper, I am Jacob. The meaning of Jacob was deceiver, supplanter. And so the, the, the man, the angel of God, then touches him in the place of his thigh. And, and the scripture says that then he went away and, and Jacob never walked the same again. Now, I have heard this story all my life growing up in the church. And I always thought, okay, so the, the man God was stronger than Jacob. And as they wrestled and Jacob was just a little rebel and he just he hit him in the thigh and he won. Woo, he won. And he showed Jacob, didn't he? That's not at all what happened here. Because you see, if you were to uh, study this out and, and unpack this scripture, then what you find out is that in, it was Jewish tradition to, in the Old Testament that when an oath was made, that they would reach under the thigh, meaning the place that life comes from. And so this is where we get the, the word in Western culture, in the English language for testimony, testes. So the place of reproduction under that place in the joint of his thigh is where he was touched. The reason that this was, uh, that may sound a little odd to you, but the reason that they would do this was um, it, it was a way of calling even the future descendants of that person to witness what was being, uh, the oath that was being made. This was about covenant, not just with this man, but with his gen the generations that would come from him. So this is really important here. What took place when when God the man touched him in the place of his thigh, was he touched him in the place that he would bear life, where he would bear fruit? And Jacob, the deceiver, he then said, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. 
And Israel means contender. Contender. He contended. Fighter. He was a fighter and he was supposed to be a fighter because God made him that way. But what Jacob had to understand is where is your fight? What we are fighting is the, the resistance within ourselves to turn away from the truth, to deny what God is trying to say to us. It's the resistance to uh, the, the denial that we continue to live with and the excuses that we make for ourselves when we're ripping off somebody else's blessing, when we're trying to live by somebody else's shirt tails because we so desperately want to be noticed. We so desperately want to feel valuable. Isn't it interesting that Jacob wanted the blessing from his father because he thought that was going to be his happiness and that it was actually the blessing of his father God that was all he needed and, and what he was in line for all along. But God knew the end from the beginning just as he does with you and just as he does with me. So in this place, I believe that we have such a deep lesson that we can learn about our own identity and about the counterfeit projections that we often try to sell to everybody else. And we want to believe ourselves. You know, we're living in a day when platform is what people are after. People feel, even in the church, that if I can just get on the platform, if I could just have everybody hear my message, if I could just be, uh, if I could be that singer, if I could be in front of the camera, if people could just, you know, give me a, a sense of value, then that's the place I need to be. That's when I'll, uh, I, that's who I am. That's who I know that I am. And let me tell you, my friend, I have struggled with that for years in my life. And, and I just, you know, there was a time when I had a lot of exposure. I was, I came out of the entertainment world and, and I was involved in a lot of ministry and God sat me down and it was in the years of my unraveling. It was the, in the years on, on the backside of my desert, my wilderness, my hard, rocky place that God was healing me and he was calling to me and I was wrestling with him because I didn't want to face the things that I hated within myself things that had come through wounds from abuse. And so I thought it would be better to create an alter ego. To, and I didn't even realize it because I was so sincere. But God saw that sincerity in me and he sees it in you. But he loves you enough to take you through, through the full extent of the process and to bring you to this place, Jabbok. The word Jabbok means to empty out. It's a place, uh, it's a name that uh, is the sound, uh, it's taken from mimicking the sound of rushing waters over pebbles, emptying out itself. Do you need to empty out something that you've been filling yourself up with all these years that's been resistant to the call of God, to the true identity, the true purpose that God has in you? God wants you to be dependent on him and him alone. You are not going to discover the real you until you come to this place. It's that place of, in the inner space of wrestling 
where you surrender and you say, yes, God, that's me, the one who lies, the one who, the one who envies, the one who cheats, the one who manipulates. When we finally see ourselves for who we really are or who we've been and how we've acted, but it really isn't who we are in him because he made us to be something else. That's the place. It's the, it's the mirror of his glory where we come to him with our face unveiled and he transforms us because he loves us so. And it's in that place of discovery how much he loves me that I can then let go of all the things that helped me cope and all the old tools. And I can, I can step out in faith and I can say, okay, God, I am dependent on you. So as I close, I want to read to you from the book of, of Hosea. Uh, it's a little bit of a synopsis here. The Lord has also a controversy, a pleading contention with Judah and will punish Jacob by visiting upon him according to his ways. According to his doings, will he recompense him? He took his brother by the heel in their mother's womb, and in the strength of his manhood, he contended and had power with God. So I love this because God showed me something so amazing. As Jacob had taken the heel, he grasped for the heel of his brother because he was contending for what he felt was his right. He came to this place after having paid a dear price and being locked down in confusion and fear in this dark place, wrestling with God himself. As he faces himself, he now understands that he must reach for the heel of the man, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And his heel would be bruised for the iniquities of you and I. That is Jesus. I want to encourage you today that he saw your end from the beginning. He sees you right where you are. And I love you. Jesus loves you, and he paid a dear price. He gave his all so that you could know who he is and thereby know who you are and be empowered to do what he has given you to do, the purpose he's given for you, the reason that you were born. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for this person that has decided to join in today, and I just ask you, Lord, to continue to walk with them, and bring them through every step of their journey and help them, Lord, to be faithful, to be obedient, and to listen to your words, to listen to your voice, Lord, and to be willing and to be courageous enough, Lord, to face the things that they've not been willing to face in the past, but today to decide that I will reach for the heel of the one who bruised the head of the serpent, and I will overcome, and I will receive a new name that only I will understand. Thank you, Lord. And I thank you, my friend, for joining me today. And uh, if you've enjoyed this, I'm going to ask you to invite your friends to come and be a part of this as well. And uh, I, uh, come back next time. I'm going to be talking with you about living in the I am of identity. Have a blessed day.